Welcome everyone. Welcome to the Matter of the Heart where we bring you heartfelt, educational, and always positive stories to elevate your spirit. I'm your host, Carol Olivia, and always thank you so much for taking your time out to listen to the Matter of the Heart. Uh, the topic of, of, of today's show is the seeds, the seeds of alcoholism. And the guest is Lisa, Lisa Boucher. She's a registered nurse. She is the author of the award-winning book, Raising the Bottom, Making Mindful Choices in a Drinking Culture, which has won her the best book award in the woman's health category. So we welcome you to the show, Lisa. Thank you, Carol, for having me. I'm happy to be with you tonight. The seeds of alcoholism, there's probably so much of that stemming from uh, childhood, uh, maybe even uh, trauma, um, maybe even the pandemic situation. Um, why, why not give us your insight with this, Lisa? Um, yeah, you know, the seeds can be, as you said, anything, um, grief even, that comes to mind where I know I've talked to so many people that perhaps they didn't have a drinking problem and then they had a death of someone they were very close to, a spouse or a beloved parent, um, and they end up in their grief turning to alcohol. Or as you said, the pandemic, that has definitely, I think people that perhaps didn't have a big drinking problem when it when going into this mm -hmm. found that they may, you know, drinking was up 350% during the pandemic. And I think there was because of so much uncertainty initially, nobody knew what the heck was going on. What is this? So there was a lot of fear. The media was pushing a lot of fear. Um, you know, you saw the the videos of people fighting over toilet paper, for God's mm -hmm. sake. So there was all this craziness going on. And then everyone having to adjust to a different life where they're not going to work. And now moms are having to not only work, but homeschool. And they've got, you know, kids home all day. Kids are now, they're home all day. They're not with their friends. I mean, it was a perfect storm for anybody who had a little bit of unhealthy coping skills to begin with, found themselves using alcohol more and more to cope. The seeds were the seeds of fear, the media, the virus, the isolation, the being stuck at home. I know I have an elderly friend who's just a social butterfly, and this has been very, very difficult for her. And I think she has not been well physically since the pandemic, not because of COVID, mm -hmm. but I think the lack of socialization has been extremely detrimental to her. So these seeds were planted all over and boy, did they sprout during this year. So it really can be anything. Um, even a bad breakup, a bad divorce, mm -hmm. people who may not have ever thought of drinking heavily find themselves, you know, life throws us curves all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's really how we deal with those and people that maybe they didn't have enough coping skills to deal with mm -hmm. heavy mm -hmm. things 
when when big stuff landed in their lap, then they ended up turning to alcohol or maybe food or maybe sex or relationships. So it is different for everyone. And I don't think that people across the board, you know, use one modality to self-medicate, but certainly alcohol is the most socially acceptable mm -hmm. one. You know, you mentioned a couple of times, you know, the um, uncoping skills. So I can't help but think, how does one get to have better coping skills? Well, I think it's got to start in, in childhood, Carol, mm -hmm. because if we don't, I think parents have to, I do believe parents do the best they can, but I think sometimes there's also a lot of lazy parenting going on out there and it's easier to throw the kid in front of some electronic mm -hmm. and now they're not bothering you. And sadly, that's how some people do parent. So when, when you're, if you're parented in that sort of way, or perhaps you're from a very boozy environment where your parents are not really present, mm -hmm. that, um, how are you going to learn coping skills? I know for myself, I've been on your show before and I've talked about my mother who was an alcoholic. She didn't teach us anything as far as coping skills. I mean, her coping skills were get in the car, fix your hair and put on some lipstick. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that does not translate well to adult life later on. Mm -hmm. And so then I ended up turning to alcohol at one point in my life. And as you know, I've been sober for a long time. So, um, <laughs> There's just no one way that that causes people to lack coping skills. But I think for the vast majority, it does start in childhood. And it also starts when people start drinking in high school, it arrests your normal development. So if you are someone, mm -hmm. like I started drinking very young, by the time I sobered up in my late 20s, I had to learn coping skills because I was still locked in adolescence and a lot of my reactions. I didn't respond to life, I reacted mm -hmm. because I didn't have good coping skills, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, so what, give us a, does faith have any, anything to do with coping skills? Well, I, I mean, it's a huge one for me. Some of my go-to coping mm -hmm. skills are nature, mm -hmm. definitely prayer, mm -hmm. um, exercise. Mm -hmm. So those three things and, and reading, um, reading spiritual books or reading something that's calming or devotional or something like that, that can pull you out of a negative mindset kind of thing. And I think that's what's lacking for a lot of people is they, they don't have healthy coping skills and then they feel all this anxiety. And instead of releasing the anxiety via the, some of the modalities that I just mentioned, mm -hmm. they, have, they have a drink. And that makes them feel a little better for a minute. And then they drink more. And then pretty soon that becomes a vicious cycle of, you know, of when you go to sleep with alcohol, a lot of times you don't sleep well. Mm -hmm. So it, it disrupts our natural rhythms and whatnot. So people then are tired and the vicious cycle ensues. And how do you break out of that? Well, it can be very difficult to break out of that once you get into a really damaging cycle. So the key is to not get into that cycle to begin with, mm -hmm. to have coping skills so that 
whatever comes your way, you can roll with the punches, you know, ride the wave per se, and not have to turn to substances or other things that are going to snowball or blow up in your face down the road. So I'm thinking, uh, Lisa and listeners, dealing with uh, obviously the reality and with no fear, as little fear as possible. Uh, because sometimes maybe when somebody gets into that drinking mode, maybe they have a fear or they can't cope with it, as you're saying. So they would rather escape it and go into their own uh, fantasy world. Well, most fear though, Carol, mm -hmm. most fears are when we're projecting into the future. Mm -hmm. And anxiety lives in the future. Mm -hmm. And so I learned this in recovery, that whole one day at a time concept is magical because if I, my mom used to say, bloom where you're planted, you know, where's your feet? When she got sober, she had to learn how to live very, very differently than she had been. And, you know, those are things that really actually make a lot of sense. If we look at where are we right now? I'm talking to Carol Olivia Adams, and I'm not thinking about tomorrow or next week. Mm -hmm. So I'm not anxious. Mm -hmm. I, the moment I'm doing what I'm doing right now, I'm speaking with you and mm -hmm. we're doing a podcast. So it's being present in the moment, but that takes a lot of work. And some people just aren't willing to do the work. Mm. And that's, you know, right. that is the problem. It's very easy to go out with friends and have drinks and shove it all aside. It's like, like stuffing a closet, you know, all those things that you don't want to really deal with. You stuff them in a closet. Well, pretty soon that closet is bursting. You open the door and everything's flying out and you're shoving it back in. That That's a visual for emotions. This is what people do to themselves I know I did it to myself. So I work with a lot of women mm -hmm. to help them overcome alcoholism. And it seems to be across the board. You know, we had emotions and feelings. We didn't know what to do with, how to cope, how to sort them out, deal with them, you know. And there are some things that not everything needs to be overly discussed and dissected. You know, we cannot split hairs on every little thing that's happened in our lives. I find that to be a waste of time. I know there are people who are dealing with a lot of trauma and, and big things, important things. And those are the sorts of things that can really fuel addiction and drinking and unhealthy behaviors of all kinds. It doesn't have to be alcohol or drugs. I've seen people really self-destruct with gambling, food, right. sex. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, but we have to, we have to be able to prioritize what deserves our energy mm -hmm. and not give our energy over to the small things. You know, someone wrote that book about right. don't sweat don't small sweat stuff, right? And, and that's what I, as so many people still do is get all wrapped up in little things that really in five years aren't going to matter, probably in six months are not going to matter. So why invest that kind of energy? You know, save your energy, try to build. Um, I think it's very important that we have an interior life, an interior mm -hmm. prayer life or meditation life or whatever 
spiritual practice speaks to you, I think we need to have some involvement in that. And, and so that we can have a rich interior life and don't expect so much from our outside world. Mm. Uh, yes, and that would counterbalance the, uh, the concept of self-destruction. Exactly. Because we're expanding it, we're, you know, we're uh, bypassing. Well, right, because I mean, behaviors that are unhealthy end up destroying us. I mean, that's just what they do. So if we can find better ways to cope and learn that as a child, you're way ahead of the game. And, and so many of us have to learn it in adulthood because we didn't learn it as children. And you can just see, you know, there's some remarkable young people in the world and I look at them or I hear them talk or, or I meet them and they just seem to have, I feel like they were touched by God or something because they're very young and they have a very constructive vision for their life. And they just, you know, you have nine year old or even somebody as young as nine that just mm -hmm. sees something injustice or whatever. And, and they're out raising all their money and they, you know, I find that so remarkable, incredible. And, and there are those special people in the world, but a lot of us have to get to where we are by trial and error, by making a whole lot of mistakes and going through some really hard things and then coming out the other side. Mm -hmm. So you know, it, it would be nice if we all learned how to cope early on in childhood. I think the world could be a little better place and it would be a little easier to get through life for a lot of people if they just had, uh, a, you know, a handful of coping skills that they could would balance things effective more. for them. Right. Exactly. Balance things more for yeah. oneself and then the way they look at life. Because if well, you don't have good coping skills, you're not going to look at life like even like nature. You know, the beauty of nature, you might not see the beauty of it. Well, I don't think you do. I remember getting sober and you look outside mm -hmm. and I was like, oh my gosh. I remember that first spring when everything, no, it was summer because I got, well, no, it was spring because I got sober in April of 89, but then I had a one day relapse. So spring is my favorite time of year. <clears throat> and um, I do remember it was that spring and I was like, I'm seeing the crocus for the first time. And I'm seeing all the birds running around, flying around with the little straws and grass and string in their beaks. Things that you don't notice, but it was like, everything was so much clearer when I got rid of the alcohol and I was sober from April to June, had a one day relapse, and then I got sober again and have been sober since June of 89. But it was, it was like my senses were awake for the first time in my life. I was seeing things that I hadn't seen before in the last decade. I mean, I think I saw them as a child. I know I've like talked about my horse before when I was a kid, I saw them during that period of my life, I was present. I was spent a lot of time in nature. And then from probably 17 to 29 was nothing but a lot of drinking and bars and, and, and that kind of thing. And I lost my connection with nature that I find to be incredibly healing, incredibly mm -hmm. healing for me. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting, just the colors 
you know, and just recognizing the miracle of it in a way, you know? Right, right. It expands your heart and your mind and your spirit because it's so miraculous in a way. It is. It is. I mean, we are spiritual beings. I'm sure people have heard that. We're spiritual right. beings living a human experience. And that if, if if we can focus more on that and less on the materialistic things mm -hmm. in life, mm -hmm. that helps not fuel. Because I will tell you, I believe social media has been so detrimental for people's well-being and happiness because there's a lot of comparing going on on social media that wasn't you didn't have you didn't have these artificial glimpses into everybody's life like you do now. And so I think too many, if you spend too much time on social media, some people really get caught up in it and start comparing their lives or believing everything they see and, you know, thinking someone else's life looks so much better. And then now they're eating over it or they're doing, you know, drinking too much or whatever. So there's just a lot of things in our world that I don't think have helped peace of mind. I don't think it's helped people to live non-anxious lives. Mm -hmm. And that we have to bring it back around to ourselves and start, you know, saying, okay, is this healthy for me? Is this really, we only have so much time in a day. How do you want to spend your time? Mm -hmm. And more and more I'm finding, I don't want to spend it on social media. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, as a writer and an author, I have to do a certain amount of it, but um, it can be very taxing for me. I, I really prefer to be outside or to be in a garden or, you know, something like that. It's just, it's so much more calming. I, I mean, you can feel the anxiety just, mm -hmm. or the tenseness, I guess, when you're sitting behind a screen. It's just, I feel more tense than I do in other, in other ways. You know, I couldn't help but think uh, also coping uh, Lisa and listeners involves patience. You know, mm -hmm. patience to do it. Well, it also takes initiative. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think I was talking to a young lady today mm -hmm. and I think I was rather, I was very upfront with her because I feel like it's, it's like, if, you know, for some people it comes down to life and death. Are you going to get sober and live or are you going to keep doing what you're doing? And who knows what can happen? Mm -hmm. So, but we can't be lazy either. We have to care enough about ourselves and our lives to take the action. Mm -hmm. And so when I did ask her, I said, what's stopping you? I said, I just threw it out there. I said, are you lazy? And she said, I think so. Mm -hmm. I said, well, you know what? That's progress. That's growth. Because if we can see these kind of things mm -hmm. about ourselves, and if we want a different life, then now we know, okay, if I have a lazy bone in me, then I need to make sure that I don't give into that lazy bone and do some things that I need to do to take care of myself and to live a better life. And that was what I was trying to explain to her that, you know, you can do a few simple things that can be mm -hmm. literally life-changing. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so 
everybody's different and how everybody copes and what speaks to them is different. But I think if we want to make changes in our lives and we want to find some peace, then it's up to us to, to seek out how that looks for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I was thinking with the um, concept of, you know, technology, you know, people want things much quicker now. They go on the internet, you know, and if there's a little flaw, they get crazy. You know what I mean? Everything. Oh, yeah. The instant to... gratification. Yeah. I mean, nobody wants to wait, wait five minutes for they anything. They want to wait. They have no patience. Right. So right. I couldn't help but think that, time, you know, the generation of that, you know, that coping, I think is important to just to, as you said, the initiative of it. And to be patient with it because patient might not be in that personality because of the technological world. Oh, you're right. I don't think kids are learning that now because you're right, because everything is instantaneous. And think about where it's like, oh my God, I remember when internet connections were dial up mm -hmm. and how things have changed because even now I'm I'm totally guilty of it if if my computer doesn't right away get to a page or like oh my god this is so slow I mean it's like really that 20 seconds can seem like an eternity this is where we are in our culture so I don't think that helps and that's why it's even we need parents to be even more aware of what are they teaching because what society is bombarding their children with I mean it's it's an uphill battle from the get-go truly even with I have a new granddaughter and some of the toys I always like to get her the the older ones and things mm -hmm. like that because I think they were were it, there was just no not a lot of bells and whistles and All I right. think need to learn to play with blocks and simple things by themselves. I think that's very important for their development. And honestly, do they want someone chirping in their ear all the time? So we have to give kids options and ways of handling and regulating themselves. Mm -hmm. And our culture doesn't really support that so much anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. So this goes back to, I, I forgot the percentage you said, Alisa, the pandemic and alcohol, how much it has it increased? Oh, it's increased 350%. That was, that was, now I don't know right. if they have figures for the end of the pandemic. That was kind of in the middle. Okay. So now here we are, I don't know, are we at the end? I kind of feel like we're at the end. Um, and... I mean, was it really a pandemic? The stats are starting to come out. There have been no more deaths this mm -hmm. year or in 2020 than there were in previous years. So was it really a pandemic? I don't know. That's a whole other conversation. Right. But, um, you know, the who knows what the drinking has escalated to at the end. And I know with the Zoom, you know, people were having Zoom happy hours. Mm -hmm. And like I said, on another uh, radio show or something that I was doing, I was, we were talking about, I said, people now like will make jokes about, well, nobody knew what was in their coffee cup on their mm -hmm. Zoom work meeting or whatever. So it really allowed people a loose rein to, pretty much if they were a drinker to really 
escalate that without any consequences because you're sitting at home in your pajamas from the waist down and you're sitting there with a coffee cup, but who knows what's in it. So even children, I mean, this is what they were seeing. There were um, somebody put a, a video out that I happened to see. It was rather funny, but it was not funny. Mm -hmm. And it was a school teacher pretty much saying, you know, when you come to the Zoom meeting, could you move the wine bottles, mom, mm -hmm. so that the fifth graders aren't looking at it mm -hmm. on the screen wow. kind of thing? Right. Yeah, there were, I mean, it was mentioned over and over again on many different little clips that I caught of, um, you know, school administrators or other teachers, you know, saying we need some Zoom guidance for the for the parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if this is what's going on with the parents, how are the children going to learn how to cope with life? Mm -hmm. they, well, they can't. Well, and they don't. They right. don't. Goes back to coping. Everything seems exactly. back to coping. It really does. Right? Yeah, it really does. You know, in the pandemic, you know, what what's creating more strength? within or there's more spirit within that person you know uh, you said childhood what whatever it is you know because a pandemic is almost like a testing you know the COVID well i think that, you know there were blessings in this pandemic if you had a healthy family right blessing was you got to spend more time with your with your family with your children with your spouse whatever so the blessings for the people that have coping skills and could function mm -hmm. um there was there was a lot of positive things mm -hmm. for people that have poor coping skills right that was a very negative negative thing mm -hmm. because now you've got a whole family or maybe children who were already in bad environments mm -hmm. in a home that at least when they went to school, that was their respite. Mm -hmm. And now they're stuck at home with this chaos or right. maybe violence or alcoholism or drug addiction or whatever. So now they are learning at even younger ages mm -hmm. or perhaps this whole year. This is, I think we're really not going to know the damage that was done until mm -hmm five years from now, but we've got kids, Carol, that I don't think got a proper education this year. Mm -hmm. There were, um, you know, there are families that, and, and parents that just don't take the initiative because they've got so many of their own problems mm -hmm. and um, they were unable to maybe adequately teach their children or enforce their, you know, and some kids don't learn sitting in front of a computer. I mean, I think that would be extremely hard especially for the, the younger children. So I hope all of these parents, if their child didn't get, this is just my opinion, but if their child didn't get adequate instruction, they should hold them back mm -hmm. because I will tell you what fuels addiction and drug, drug abuse mm -hmm. is children who do not do well in school. They don't feel good about themselves. Mm just escalates and i've seen that over and over when i used to work with children when they feel they can't grasp things then they start to believe they're stupid mm -hmm. and they believe all these negative things about themselves that most of the time are not true mm -hmm. and instead of you know, working through it because they don't have what they needed this year for instruction or a tutor or whatever the case may be, mm -hmm. then they start to internalize that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's extremely important that 
we look at the, the education of these children and make sure that they are held back or if they do go on to the next grade, that they are ready and prepared for it so that they do not start to feel bad about themselves and turn to drugs and alcohol or other ways to cope or detract from their feeling all of a sudden inferior. Mm. Well, also, I can't help but think, how about a coping skill course in school? Well, you know, that would be a blessing to so many. I mean, that would circumvent the whole thing. Well, I think so. I think there's so much we could do to help children in any more meaningful way, but they don't want to spend time on anything, it seems, that has to do with mental health. Mm -hmm. When if you don't have good mental health, you're not going to be able to learn calculus. Mm -hmm. Because if you're too frustrated to learn or too depressed to open the book, how are you going to learn something else? So it it is sad to me. And I think that's a good point that you brought up that um, it should be taught in schools, these kinds of things so that kids can have an opportunity to not get um, massively depressed or mm-hmm. angry. Anger is huge. I mean, this is kids that are bullied. If they don't have adequate support at home, mm-hmm. they can really internalize that. We've seen some of the school shootings were from uh, kids that were bullied. We find out later mm-hmm. and that anger and that rage just stays with them their whole lives. So we need to talk about that. The schools need to talk about that. But if you don't have even healthy adults, I mean, there are a lot of teachers that find their way into recovery. And I often think, what the heck's going on with the teachers? I totally agree with that. I used to substitute. So I got a, a whiff of their personality profile. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't want to get too much into that, but that's another show. But, but yeah. um you know, teaching coping skills for children, but also for the uh, for the teachers as well, both. Well, you're absolutely right, because there's a lot of dysfunctional people in the world. Right. I mean, let's just face it, very smart, educated people. But when it comes to emotions and emotional right. intelligence, they're clueless. Right. They have no clue. Yeah, unfortunately, um, Lisa and, and, and Liz, you know, I had a as is an example, I had a, 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 she was brilliant. Neurologists would call me a lot, but she never knew how to create a friendship, she said, because she was mm-hmm. so busy studying with her books. So a lot of times when we, uh, we look and study books and books and books and we get 10,000 degrees, we don't forget about the emotional part. And what I see consistently, because I've talked to over 3,000 people with my intuitive readings in the past. Consistency, life skills, survival tools have nothing to do with degrees. Right, right. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's why, degrees. you know, educated people, highly educated people commit suicide. Doctors, right. it's, I think they are one of the higher rates of suicide, doctors and lawyers, um, because of the stress. And as you said, they're not really living life. They're spending a good chunk of their life, books and instruction and whatnot. And then when real life hits and all of the things that you have to deal with in a practice and mm-hmm. and then you're juggling family and some of them just flat out don't cope well. And so they turn to pills or alcohol or, um, you know, 
unhealthy ways to cope to detract from these fire hose of flood of emotions that they don't know what to do with right right yeah no it's a consistency a lot right. to um i guess a lot to revamp in the school system lisa oh my gosh yeah you know, i think with, so with children and with teachers you know i hope mm -hmm, i hope it's done at some point yeah me too it's a necessity well uh before we close what wisdom would you like to what more wisdom would you like to share with us Lisa? well i would just say to everyone since we're talking about coping skills i mm -hmm. guess let's challenge everyone to find you know three coping skills that they can go to mm -hmm. any sort of emotional crisis if the anxiety is getting starts welling up in your chest and you're feeling that feeling what are you going to do what healthy way are you going to address your feelings your right. anger and so that's the challenge that's i i think i would like to leave it at that that it's up to you know take the challenge and find three healthy ways that you can cope with whatever comes your way besides doing something that maybe you did before that that is possibly self-destructive mm. thank you so much lisa thank you thank you carol and you've been listening to The Matter of the Heart. I've been your host, Carol Olivia. Check out um, our website, www.thematteroftheheart.com. Lisa Boucher has uh, a few other shows on, or check it out with your favorite podcast player. And as always, thank you for taking your time out to listen to The Matter of the Heart. Thank you. Thanks, Carol. You're welcome, Lisa. You have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.